Good morning. Let me look at you. What a great bunch. I am a... Thanks, Paul. Thank you, Josh. Good morning. Let me look at you. What a great bunch. I am amazed how God has good people everywhere. Every church I've been in, I've gone away saying, surely this is the best church I've ever been in. Nancy, my wife, would you like to stand, please, my dear? She said no, but she's an obedient wife. <laughs> Thank you, darling. My lovely wife, we got married in 1981. We were... Thanks, Paul. 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 Is number one, I'm a Christian. Second qualification, I'm a sinner saved by grace. Anybody else out there? My other qualification is that I've reached the age of 73. It's going to happen this year. I'm still 72. And so what I'd like to do today, rather than giving myself any more wrap-up than what Josh has done, let's just give the Lord the glory. I'm praying that God will give you hearing ears this morning. I've prayed that God will order the attendance and that he will speak to your hearts today. I see hungry hearts. I see listening ears. I see gray hair. I've solved that problem. <laughs> it just takes me a little bit longer to get ready in the mornings. <laughs> so God is good. I'd also like to welcome some friends of mine from many, many years ago, also sharing the same gray hair as Colin Weber and from Calandra, John and Jean Spall and Jill Hall. Who else have I got hiding there? I've already welcomed my wife, Nance. And they came along today just in case when I turned up there was nobody here. And so I sat, in the <laughs> I sat in the front row and there was nobody sitting here and I thought, Lord, bless this front row. Now, I would like to speak today about a riddle. And then I'd like to tell you a story. When I've told you this story, I have a question. Do you like riddles? We'll come to it in just a moment. The title of my message is Seasons... Solomon and you. Our slide, please, Jess. Seasons, Solomon and you. Now, Solomon is a very smart cookie. When he writes a proverb, he's writing more than just the proverb. He's writing something for you to think about. So it's going to change your life. He said, A sluggard will not plough by reason of the cold. Therefore shall he beg in harvest and have nothing. I found a sloth hanging in a tree, which I thought was a brilliant illustration. I didn't want to preach about sluggards or sloths, though I was toying with calling the message Solomon sloths and sluggards, but I'd rather emphasize something else, and the word is in the middle of that slide. It's called seasons, harvest. This is a man who does not know his seasons. He's lazy, and he doesn't like the cold weather of winter. Now, most of you will know that there are four seasons. They are spring, summer, autumn, and winter. And Ross, I see you there. I'd like to acknowledge my good friend Ross Holmes, Ross and Trish. Many years we've been together, and there's been a prophetic grace in both of our lives. So what I want to do today is not preach a word to your head, but I'd like to speak a word to your heart. And I'd like you to hear from your heart what I'm saying. In the first book of Chronicles, chapter 12 and 32, 
there was a special tribe in Israel called the sons of Issachar. And they had a special grace on their life. And it says, they knew the seasons and what Israel ought to do. That's a remarkable trait. And we're going to couple these together. One man doesn't know his season. The other tribe knows what to do. Now, our next slide. I don't need to tell you that there are four seasons in the climate. The first season is spring. It's for planting. The second season is summer. It's for growing. The third season is autumn, and it's for reaping. We have forgotten autumn in our culture. We've got the fluorescent lights, we've got refrigerators, we've got air conditioning, and we've forgotten that all of Israel is built around the agricultural season. Anybody come from a farm background? Anybody been on a farm? Have a look at that. God loves country people, and they understand seasons. But Solomon is not just talking about seasons of climate. What is he talking about? First, let's make an observation about seasons. First of all, next slide please, Jess. Seasons come in a very set order. Every good farmer knows this, that they never, ever change their variety, do they? Anybody ever found a different order? And though they never vary, and though the changes of the seasons can be quick or slow, you might have an Indian summer or you might have a quick chop change. My wife and I were in Darwin on a holiday once and we were up there just before the start of the wet season. On the end of March, if I remember my dates correctly, that night there was a huge lightning storm. Bugs came flying in through the windows all down the corridor of the hotel with bugs and wasps and grasshoppers. And then the next morning, the wet season started. It was as sharp as that on the 1st of April, if my dates are correct. It came like that. Sometimes in our lives, it's a little different. Sometimes it's the same. A wise farmer, he knows that if you work with the seasons and you don't fight them, what do you get? Good crops and you get good results. If I turned up here this morning in a nappy and a moustache, I'd be fighting my seasons. <laughs> and you would probably call my wife and say, we've got the wrong speaker this morning. Is this the right church? Act your age. When did somebody last tell you that? I won't ask you to look at the person beside you, but when did somebody try to act younger than they were? And they didn't know how to accept their season. Now, in the grey season, and we're going to look at that now, what else did Solomon have to say about the seasons of life? There's probably no greater comment on the seasons. Our next slide, Jess. Solomon's riddle is basically this, that you have four seasons in your life. You have the spring of your youth, and that's roughly 0 to 22, depending who you're speaking to and depending on the person. You have the summer of your young adulthood, 22 to 44. The hot, passionate summer, depends who's writing the book, depends how hot and passionate it is. And it depends what you do in those years. The mellow, yellow, autumn years. These are from 44 to 66, roughly. They give and take a bit. And the winter years are the cooler, grayer, years of the last years of your life, roughly 66 to 88. I see I'm preaching to a lot of winter seasons right here this morning. If you're not in your winter season, 
If you're a young person, I want you to particularly take note of this. You should know your seasons right at the start of your life because Solomon said, remember God in the days of your youth, which is your first season. If you don't get to know God then, you've got nothing to give as you go along later in your life. So we're going to go in just a moment to have a look at probably the saddest cry that I've ever heard in the Bible. And our next slide, Jess, it is simply this. Harvest is past, summer is ended, and we are not saved. It's the cry of Israel before they got taken over by the Assyrian kingdom. But there's no sadder cry in life than to have a person who does not recognize their season, who will not plow by reason of the cold, and they get to the end of their life and they say, we are not saved. My brother-in-law just passed away two days after Christmas. He was 80, he had a sudden heart attack, his wife gave him CPR, they called the ambulance, and he was gone. But he loved the Lord, and we had this amazing funeral service where people just celebrated the life of my brother-in-law, Don Staines. He was a good man. He just loved God. Just before that, I went to another service. This man had served in the wars. He had been up in New Guinea. He'd seen the worst of it. And at the end of the war years, he was sent to Hiroshima. And he had to be in Japan after the dropping of the atomic bomb. He saw such devastation. He saw such man's inhumanity to man that he didn't know how to handle it. When he came back, he was like most soldiers, like my dad. My dad was serving in New Guinea. And he came back with what's called post-traumatic syndrome, stress syndrome, yeah? PTSD. My dad solved it by going out, sitting in the bush, spearing fish. Uh, he was a humorous man. But this gentleman who had been to Hiroshima came back and said nothing. He would not talk about it. Why? How could you? And for years, he kept it quiet. His wife was a committed Christian. He, underneath, believed, but he kept it quiet. Later on, when I was in the youth group, his son said to me, my dad doesn't go to church. Why should I? The daughter is going on with God. The son is just marking time. He reminds me of when I first got saved and I worked on a banana plantation and there was a young man there who was a bodybuilder. He had everything he wanted. He had a fit body. He looked like Arnold Schwarzenegger. He was rich. He started one of the first uh, retirement homes in Coffs Harbour. And one day when we were working on the banana plantation, he said to me, Paul, you're very committed, aren't you? I said, I'd like to think so. I'm just young. I'm still learning. He said, I don't want to do that. I just want to get baptized in water to make sure I'm saved. And then I want to get into heaven by the skin of my teeth. And I looked at this man, and you know, his life has been a life of materialism, wealth, richness. But when he stands before God, I pray that his prayer will not be, the harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. There are sober thoughts. I'd like to go to our next slide. What every wise person knows, if you've got the anointing of Solomon in your life, you'll know that when you're spring, you sow and you learn your values. Sad the parent that does not teach their children the values of Christ and God. If you say, my kids can grow up whatever they want, believe whatever they want, they'll sort it out later when they get older. 
Let me tell you, you're making the greatest mistake of your parenting life. You must show seeds in your children's life that teach them about God. Remember your Creator in the days of your youth. Train up a child in the way that he should go and then he won't depart. In summer, we test our values and we grow our values. A lot of teenagers get into their teenage years and what do they do? They rebel because they want to, the Sykes call it, individuate. They rebel against the parents, not because the parents are bad, but because they want to say, well, you can't tell me what to do, I'm going to find it by myself, I'll find it the hard way. And so they go down the road of rebellion. But the price of rebellion is the price that you pay over the years that later will come back when you will say, I wish I had not done that. I wish I had a blackboard and I could rub out that area of my life. Now, I know I'm in the wrong church and this is probably an Amway meeting and none of you have any regrets in your life. But I would to God that we had learnt the lessons in our summer and spring and we would grow the values that came out of that. In the autumn of our life, we reap what we sow. That's not often preached these days, is it? Not often. But we enjoy our values because we've got the harvest in. Wonderful when you see a family bringing up their kids in the nurture and admonition of God. In summer, you're growing and growing and learning. You're having your family, you're having your kids, you're getting a job, you're getting your work done. In autumn, you're starting to look back and think, oh, I'm nearly 40. 40. 40. And what do you come to terms with? You come to terms with your mortality. And you realize with a sudden jerk that I have reached my end of my second season. And I've got two to go. And when I'm in my 40s, I can look back and try to be wise. Somebody once said that if you are not handsome by 20, rich by 30, wise by 40, you will never ever be rich, handsome or wise. What a sad comment on life. You can't go back and make up the luck of your financial astuteness. My mother, bless her dear heart, now with the Lord, at the age of 21 came into a fortune. She earned from the Prudential Society the legacy of seven and a half houses. How rich would you be today? Seven and a half houses, you'd be a millionaire, wouldn't you? But she didn't know how to handle it, and my PTSD alcoholic father helped her spend it as fast as she could. She built there, she bought a new home in her name, which wasn't done in those days. She bought the first FJ Holden in Coffs Harbour, and we drove around like Jackie, when nobody else could probably afford a car that day, and in a few short years, dissipated it completely. That can never, ever be bought back. But just the other day, I was reading the book of Psalms, and it said, the lines have fallen unto me in pleasant places, and I have a goodly heritage. And I'm seeing God just restoring a bit at a time. I don't know if God will ever give me seven and a half million dollars or seven and a half houses, but all I know is God's a good God. And in the seasons, if you learn the wisdom of your seasons, you can make the next season even more prosperous. I pray that the winter season in your life will now start bringing fruit. And what I'd like to look at then to apply this, because I see many in the winter season at the moment, I'd like to go to two people. I promised you a riddle. Here's a story. Let's go to the next two. Next slide, please, Jess. 
There are two people called Simeon and Anna. Guess what season they're in? They're in their winter years. They know their season. They're not trying to be crazy. They're not trying to buy a sports car and have a midlife crisis. They're not being a crazy man and leaving his house and getting divorced and leaving home and having an affair with a secretary. They know their season. They're not trying to be something they're not. Sorry if the illustration offended anybody. They serve with purpose in their winter years. It's a wise man who adapts with the season. Now, most of us haven't got to that stage where we're in the, uh, in the Czech houndstooth and the cardigans and the things and our wife is telling us where to go. And uh, They say when you get older that men get in touch with their feminine side and start to realise, I love my kids, I love my grandchildren, I better show them some love and care and cuddles. And the wife is out there saying, out we go, bucko, I'm out tonight. Are you staying home? I'm going out with the girls. And putting the boy into cardigans and she's going out. Now, I joke about that. But if you get your seasons right, you can have a wonderful, happy marriage that brings fruit. Now, what are the lessons? First of all, let's look at the scripture. There was a man in Jerusalem. Next slide, Jess, please. His name is Simeon. You're welcome to turn or just watch. He's righteous, he's devout, he's looking for the consolation of Israel. And listen to this, the Holy Spirit was on him. In his latter years, aha, it has been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. He would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Prompted by the Spirit, he came into the temple enclosure. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him the custom required by the law, Simeon took him into his arms and blessed and praised and thanked God. And he said, now, Lord, you're releasing your servant. I'm going to leave this world in peace. According to your word, for mine eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all the Gentiles. You shall lighten the Gentiles. It will be a revelation and a glory for your people Israel. And his father and mother were amazed at what he had said. And Simeon blessed them. And he said to Mary, his mother, listen carefully. This child is appointed and destined for the fall of many. He is to be a sign that will be opposed. And Mary, a sword of sorrow will go through your heart also. And the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. What an amazing word of prophecy. He speaks to the nation and he speaks to the person. Next slide, Anna, a prophetess. She's the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. By the way, don't believe all the junk you read about the lost tribes of Israel. They weren't lost. They just went back in the days of Assyrian, back into under King Hezekiah to Jerusalem. Some got scattered everywhere, so don't go down that road. And the teacher really wants to do that, but I'll leave it alone. She knows who her tribe is. In your winter season, you should know who you are. Anna is very old. Now, I want you to mark this phrase. She has lived with her husband for seven years, and then he dies. Seven years marriage. What a, a pathos is written into that one little phrase. We're not told why he died. All we know is that Anna had to work through the grief and the loss of a partner. In those days, men were about 40 Girls were about 12 to 16 when they got married. That was the culture of the day. 
That's why we don't know about Joseph much later in the Gospels because Joseph has probably long passed away by the time Jesus is doing his ministry. She's now how old? 84. She didn't leave the area of the temple, but she's serving and worshipping God night and day with fastings and prayers. We're going to say something about that in a moment. She too came up at that moment, and she began praising and thanking God and continuing to speak of him, Jesus, to all who were looking for deliverance and deliverance and restoration and redemption in Jerusalem. Now, what are the lessons of a man in his winter season? Anybody here over the age of 66? Listen carefully. Next slide. Simeon. He has lasted through his four seasons. He's not fallen into a pit. There are three pits that somebody falls into in the autumn season. And I think it was uh, the Quaker writer, Richard Baxter, Richard Foster. He said there are three traps that money, sex, and power. The gold, the girls, the glory, or reverse it, whatever your gender is. And he's lasted through this. He's beaten the temptations. When I was a little boy, I looked at my dad who was 38, and I was all of eight or nine, something like that, and I thought, wow, I wonder if ever I'll live to that age. And later on I became a Christian. And then I looked at a couple of my older Christian brothers and sisters and I was going through the normal joys of a hormonal 16-year-old and learning to, how do you handle temptations? And I looked at these older people and I said, Lord, wouldn't it be wonderful when you get to the age of 40 and you won't have any more temptations? <laughs> was that naive? Or was that naive? You will be tempted in every season. When the devil tempted Jesus, three temptations. You can work them through for yourself. And then it says, he left him for a season, for a time. Because we're not told, but over the next three years, Jesus is going to face temptations and he's going to beat them. When he gets to Anna and Simeon, we find that at this stage of their life, they are easily and comfortably led by the Holy Spirit. When I look across this congregation, I see people who love God. And I see people who know the Lord. You can't spend time in God's presence for 40 or 50 or 60 years without being changed. All your garments smell of aloes and cassia and cinnamon. When you spend time in God's presence, you have a fragrance about your life. You don't have to qualify it. You've got something of the seasons that just lingers around you. I once worked in a uh, school for uh, remedial massage and the Seventh-day Adventist lady said to me, Paul, you have a certain presence about you. And I thought, hmm, I like that. But she saw something that even in her seven Adventist background, she couldn't quantify it. Now, I really shouldn't tell this one, but Nancy and I went to uh, Israel and we went down to the rose-red city of Petra, Jordan. And we went down and saw the beautiful Nabataean carvings in the cities that were there. And I struck up a friendship with the Arab uh, rider. And so we're riding on the horses and so we're chatting and talking together and we had a, a really good interesting interchange. Now remember he's Muslim and I'm Christian. And a little bit later he drops back and he's riding beside my wife and he said to my wife in the very florid, wonderful expressions, 
your husband shines with an inner light. And I said, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> now, take that in the culture. But what he's saying is he felt and saw something different. In your winter season, it's easy to be led by the Holy Spirit if you've been obedient and you have a fragrance and a comfortableness. He's a father. He passes on his values. Remember the winter season? We pass on our values. Let me pause here a moment. This is winter for some of you. You're going to give a legacy to your children. Some of you will give houses. Some of you will give money. Some of you will be having the unfortunate problem of people and children who want your legacy and they're dropping hints about when are you going to fall off the perch. I actually heard that said. Go on, you old thing. Just fall off the perch. Nobody wants you. Why don't you just die? Was what was said to this elderly lady. However, what does a Christian do? You shall honour the elderly and you shall rise up before the grey head. I'll be doing a lot of rising up and in this congregation. But there's this respect and honour when somebody reaches this age, and we've forgotten it in our culture. When you look at social media, you see disrespect everywhere. Did you see that girl in Parliament, that green teal, whatever she was, walked down and wouldn't take the oath of uh, allegiance, and she said Queen Elizabeth was a colonialist? No respect. Doesn't understand that sometimes you've got to respect the office even if you can't respect the person. I'll leave that alone. He has the capacity to bless and speak. I want you to think of your life as you're going through this. Can you speak Christ's purpose into lives? Can you be so easily led by the Holy Spirit that without even realizing it, you just meet people and you talk to them comfortably and easily? And sometimes you look back and you think, oh, that was so easy, it happened so organically, so naturally. You know, you don't have to be a super spook to be led by the Holy Spirit. In the Middle Ages, they had wonderful nuns who would float off the ground, six inches off the ground, beatific smiles on their faces. Being real, we're not led by the Holy Spirit like that, are we? It's a gentle nudge, just a little whisper. I find something very interesting about the Lord as I'm getting older. He doesn't shout, he whispers. Elijah came out of the cave. It wasn't in the wind, wasn't in the earthquake, wasn't in the fire, wasn't in the storm. It was in the still, small voice. And I found that lovers don't shout, they whisper. Did you shout in your wife's ear? I'm assuming she's still got good hearing. When you were just having a cuddle and a bit of a chat, Nance and I sat on the veranda the other night and I said, Nance, isn't this a nice stage of life? We can sit on the patio, there's no hurry, we've got companionable silence you can enjoy the winter years they're wonderful years if you make the best of them Solomon said love your wife let her satisfy you right up into the latter years I think that Simeon had one more quality that you can look at he knows his time he knows when it's time to go in the last supper when Jesus sat down with his 12 disciples, it says this. It's John 13. You may like to make a note of it. Jesus, knowing who he was and knowing when he was to go to the Father, took bread and broke it with his disciples. Two good qualities. He knew who he was. He knew his time. When my brother-in-law passed away, it was that quick. Gone like that. And... 
he wasn't hanging on. He would have, Don would have hated to have been in hospital, wouldn't he, love? He would have hated to have been a vegetable. He would have hated to have it dragged out over the years. He was happy, I'm sure, that the Lord took him. Today is with the Lord. We're not told when Simeon passed away, but I think his passing would have been a glorious one and a very happy one. Anna, next slide. Anna is a remarkable lady. Ladies, my turn to talk to you while the men just switch off for a moment. She has lasted through her four seasons. She's resolved her griefs and her widowhood into new purpose. I just listened to the life story of C.S. Lewis, a bachelor for many years, a brilliant Oxford Don wrote Mere Christianity and dozens of books. And at the age of 50, he met this lovely lady and became friends with her and then he married her and for three years had the most wonderful marriage. He said, look, we were in our 50s. Sometimes it was the wonderful love of a passionate couple in love with each other. Sometimes it was with the not much energy love. It was sometimes was just the passion and love of a mature, mature love that had just lasted the distance. But Anna has been widowed seven years after she's been married. We're not told what happened to the gentleman. We're not told how she handled it. And when C.S. Lewis went through his bereavement three years after his wife had passed away, she had bone cancer. They said she was going to die in three weeks. He married her in the hospital because she said, you've never ever proposed to me. Why don't you British people propose? Because we American girls, we like to be asked. And he said, okay. And he went down on one knee and proposed to her in the hospital, got an Anglican vicar, and they got married in the hospital. And then for three years, they had a wonderful, wonderful three years of life. And then she went out in remission. And then at the end of the three years, she went for a visit to the dock. And she had bone cancer. It had come back again. And when she was dying... And the husband was there. She said, I'm ready to go. And Lewis said, I felt like my world had died. The bottom fell out of my heart. And he said, in that time, I was angry with God. I wrote A Grief Observed. It's a wonderful book if ever you get a chance to read it. A Grief Observed by C.S. Lewis. You can Google it. And he said... My fear was not that God wasn't there or he didn't exist. My fear that God was a monster, that he delighted in sending problems our way. He delighted in letting me go through three happy years and then he took it. And then when he finished writing the book, he got to the last chapter and he said, I realize I've been looking at it the wrong way. I realize that God was a giver and he gave me a crusty old bachelor of 50 three happy years of married life and now I've turned it around and I thank God that he's a good God and I've discovered he's not a monster he's a good God and so when Anna went through her seasons we're not told how she handled her grief but look how long is she going to live now somebody with mathematics in their head take 7 from 84 what do you get 77 yes I have a great grandmother had a great-grandmother. She got married in 1890. She came out to 
uh, Australia in, uh, sorry, yes, 1890, 1891. She married her husband, Samuel Kamak. They didn't have doctors in those days, so they sent Samuel and Magdalene out to Coonabarabran. Can you imagine a lady from England in upper-class society, related to the Royal Stuarts, married a doctor, has now in a log cabin, and there's a photo of her with her arms rolled up her sleeves, horror of horrors for a lady of that age. She is sitting in front of the cabin, and she has faced fires and floods and aborigines and cockroaches and spiders. You've got to take a hat off to those ladies, don't you? And her husband, Samuel, they came back, more befitting to their dignity, and started on the North Shore of Sydney, and they had a, a medical clinic there. And suddenly, Samuel passed away at the age of 40. My father was killed at the age of 39. My brother passed away at the age of 39. Would you think there was a curse on the family? And when that happened, I began to realize as a young Christian, I had to get that sorted out, and God worked through my family. And Madeline, my great-grandmother, lived from 1900 to 1956. I remember this wonderful old lady, straight from colonial England, sitting in a rocking chair like this. And when Dad's friends from the war years came back and wanted to see Jimmy, they'd knock on the front door. She'd rise up out of the chair. She'd float to the front door because it wouldn't do to walk because she'd wiggle the bottom. Ladies did not wiggle the bottom. She walked out to the front door. She opened the door, a little crack, She's got to have a calling card because she's straight from Edwardian England. The boys say, they've seen this apparition from Pride and Prejudice. They say, is Jimmy in? And she says, oh, do you mean James? No, well, leave a card. Good morning. Thank you. And she closed the door and she sailed the ship of state back into a chair, heaving bosoms, lavender, smelling salt, and muttering colonials. For how many years? 56 years. She's a widow. Anna, 77 years. But she's sweet. She has not let her bitterness of her divorce, sorry, her widowhood and her loss of her husband poison her. She's got to her winter years and she's sweet. Have you met a sweet little old lady who's got it together with God and she's not bitter? That's the kind of woman that Anna is. She knows who she is. She knows her gifting. She is a prophetess. In the New Testament, she would be an Ascension gift ministry. And I won't argue about the male and female and the pros and cons of Old and New Testament, but she knows who she is. She is easily, just like Simeon, comfortably led by the Holy Spirit. And she uses her woman's role wisely. She's not out there with a feminist trying to displace Simeon. Uh, Simeon. She's not out there arguing this, that, and the other. She's a lady who knows that she's comfortable in her own skin. And ladies, you never ever have to apologize for being a lady. You are God's creation. You were made in God's image. You were made to be a help that is meat for your husband. That's not just a slave to your husband. That's not where the word help meet means simply that you're fitted together. And one day when we get to heaven, guess what? No more marriage. We don't have the organization we have here on earth. We don't know what it's going to be like. The Bible doesn't answer all the questions you might have about the plumbing and the hardware. It doesn't answer all the questions about male and female. It does say simply that we like the angels in heaven and we, when we see him, will be like him. How that works, I don't know. But one day, your role here will have fitted you for the purposes of God in eternity. 
Lastly, she lives in fasting and prayer. Now, when you get older, you can't fast as much as you used to when you're young. Your health is different. I did a partial fast for the last two weeks because I know when I'm going to preach, I just want to be in touch with what God's saying to a church. And Darren said when he wanted me to preach, he said, Paul, come with a word to the church that will set the pace for the new year. He preached a great message last week about God of the second chance, didn't he? We've all had second chances. And if you can master your season, you will serve God in such a way that your church will do what it's supposed to do in this community. So you moderate your fasting and you moderate it to suit your age and your health and your conditions. You might just do a meal. You might skip a week. You might do one day. Whatever it works, seek God. And one of the great things about the winter season is that prayer is no longer forcing God. Prayer chains. Would you like to hear a bit of heresy about a prayer chain? Prayer chains have their place. But if you think God is going to be convinced because you've got lots of people praying, think again. God is not persuaded because multitudes of people are praying. He's moved by faith. And so when you pray, it's no longer trying to squeeze God. God is not reluctant. When you get to my age and you've got to your winter season, it's a comfortable walk with God. It's an easy walk. You don't have to tell him about your problems because he already knows them. You get up in the morning and you say, God, I don't have a news bulletin this morning, but I do want to tell you I love you. And then it's an easy walk comfortably with God. Well, I'm just about run out of cotton. I've given you a riddle. I promised you a story. You've had it. And now what I'd like to do is ask a question. Jess. Have you lasted through your seasons well? Oh, by the way, we won't have an altar call today. Your altar is where you are right now. Have you resolved your past issues? Oh, sorry, wrong church. Have you functioned in your gifts? Have you found out whether you're an ascension gift, a spiritual gift? Have you functioned in the motivational gifts? I don't have time to look at that today. If you don't know what they are, maybe, Lord willing, you'll hear about them later on some other time. Have you learned the ease of being led by the Spirit? Have you passed on your values? When your kids come to your house, do they know that they're coming to a godly person, a godly granddad? Uh, my nephew, Will, isn't here today, is he? I can't see Will anywhere. Uh, Will and Louise, they are the son and daughter-in-law of Don, the man who passed away just recently. And one of the wonderful things they said in the funeral service was Louise got up and she said, you know what, I love my father-in-law. He was nearly 80. And she said, I watched him go into the room where he was with my little boy. And I was just curious. What would a godly old man do when he goes in to see his grandson changing his nappy? And she got on the little camera and she watched and she said, I saw a godly old man praying over my son and blessing him. Have you passed on your values? Maybe you need to think, I've got to say a bit more to my kids about the Lord. Have you spoken blessing over your community and your family? That's a great thing to do. I was in a Catholic Anglican meeting once. I had a cardigan on and a black turtleneck sweater and the uh, priest turned to me and said 
uh, Father Kemek, would you like to say a blessing, please? Well, what would you have done? I gave him a blessing. I blessed everything I could find. <laughs> Speak blessing over your family. Speak blessing in your community. And if you've got friends, this morning, I was getting this message ready, and I have a, a young, not so young now, Brian, my school colleague, nearly the same age. I just felt a little nudge, send him a copy of C.S. Lewis's My Life Story, the one I was watching on the YouTube. I sent it to him and I said, morning, Brian. I said, here's a, uh, something for you to watch. I'd like you to listen to it. I want to speak blessing into his life. Do you know what he wrote back? He texted back straight away. He said, C.S. Lewis, he said, I read his books when I was a teenager. And I wrote back another text. Do you know what I said to him? You are not very far from the kingdom of God, my brother. So in your winter season, have you used your father's role and your mother's role wisely? Have you learned to work together? If you're a widow, if you're a widower, I'm conscious that in a congregation this size and age, there are people of all different roles. And the last question. Are you working with your present season rather than fighting it? Are you enjoying growing old gracefully? Are you enjoying the fact that God made you who you are for every season in your life. Now, I have a small task to do before we go. Young Zach, would you stand up? When you were helping me at the table there before, I promised that I'd hear a prophetic ear from God. Here's what God spoke to my heart, Zach. It's found in the book, and I'll give you a scripture so you can keep it. Second Timothy chapter 1 and verse 4, 5, 6, 7, 8 and 9. Stir up the gift of God that is in you by the laying on of my hands and do not be afraid of his testimony. Zach, I just felt the touch of God on your life. I felt that God was going to arrest you and interrupt you. How old are you? 15? I was 15 when I got saved. I was 16 when the Lord spoke to me. And Zach, here's what I felt. God's going to interrupt your life at some point. In the meanwhile, do your homework. Keep faith with God and let the touch of God change your life. Get your occupation. God will, doesn't mind. Every, every Pharisee had a trade. Paul was a tent maker. Whatever your occupation might be, keep your ear open to God. And at some point, God's going to say to you, Zach, I need you in my service. It might be full-time. It might be part-time. It might be in many different ways. But God has his hand on this young man. I want you to put your hands towards him if you would. Lord, you see this young man and the potential like a young Timothy. I'm persuaded that the faith that is in you, Zach, was in your mother, just like Timothy's head was told by Paul, and in your grandmother Lois. So, Lord, we pray for this young man. Put your hand on him. Make him a good man of God. May he prove himself over these next few years and the word of God come alive in his heart. And may his first season move into his second season where he finds the will of God and the purpose of God. Amen. Thank you, Zach. Sit down. Congregation, I've delivered a word that I felt was on me for the church. I won't have an altar call, but I'd like our singers to come. And we sang a chorus before that just had the touch of God on. I think it was the second last one. And I'm going to blank on what it was. The goodness of God. We're going to look back and we're going to see the goodness of God in our life. Would you like to stand? Thank God for the pers person beside you. Thank God for your mum and dad and grandparents. Thank God for your children.
And let's pray the wisdom of the seasons in our life.